0: I would like you to turn to the book of Titus chapter 2. Paul is discussing with the people of God, and particularly Titus, about his responsibilities in teaching sound doctrine. He told Titus, Titus, when you're there in Crete, pick up a copy of Henry Clarence Thieson's book, Systematic Theology. He said, get in that book. Understand all the great doctrines of the Word of God. And uh, Titus said, Huh? (laughs) (laughs) No, I tell you, this passage has been a terrific blessing to my heart when I studied it a long time ago because it really deals with just practical, everyday theology. It doesn't take you down deep, but it takes you down where we need to go. And Paul addresses several groups of people in the passage. Uh, He talks about the older men. He talks about the older women. He talks about the younger women, and tonight he comes to talk about the young men. So we're in chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 6 through 7. And initially, when you read the two verses together, it sounds as if it all applies to Titus. But really, it really doesn't all apply to Titus. It applies to Titus in the first verse. uh, Rather, not not the first verse, but the second verse. But in the first verse, is talking about men in general, young men in general. Uh, basically he's talking to Titus. The whole thing relates to how young men are in general. In verse six, he says to Titus and something specific because Titus is going to end up being an example to all young men. There, there's a, there's a setting of a pace for spiritual character and spiritual devotion that Titus couldn't do to older men. He couldn't do that for older men because, uh, He had not reached the point of being an older man in life. Now he could use the authority of the word of God. But from his practical life experience. He was inexperienced at being an older man. And of course he couldn't say much about older women. Or younger women. Because he doesn't know fully. And particularly and personally. The role of a woman. Because he himself is not a woman. But. A young man who goes into ministry ought to understand what the Bible says about the role of women. Even though he himself personally may not be involved in the role of a woman. But when he comes to Titus in this group. He's called upon to exhort the, the young men and to be an example of them. For them. Because he can relate to them. You know young men are his group. And there are three areas of responsibility that I want you men to pay attention of this evening. Because it's very obvious in the text. There are three things. First of all, there's exhortation. Uh, We would say urgency. There's an urgent thing. There's an urgency, all right? An exhortation. Number two, there's example. And number three, there is effect. Not effect, but effect, all right? So let's start tonight with the exhortation that you find in chapter 2, verse 6. Look at it. Paul says to Titus, Young men likewise exhort to be... Sober-minded. Sober-minded. That doesn't mean don't be drunk. It means to be sober-minded means to be sensible in your head. Think reasonably. And he says, and how many of those things are you supposed to be sensible in all things? All things. In other words, you take the opportunity to learn how to be sensible about a lot of areas of your life. Uh, The word likewise in that verse. Young men, likewise. It's just a word that kind of transitions us into this new category. Like the prior three categories that we find in addressing the other groups. In the same way as other groups have been called to live a godly standard. To live uniquely according to a godly standard in their particular role. So it is the same thing with young men. I want you to see that tonight. Here Titus is encouraged to take up personal leadership. Personal care over young men. And he happens to be one of them. This would be, no doubt, one of the greatest emphasis of his life and ministry. The young men are instructed by one of them who is godly. By the name of Titus. You know, God bless the young men who are given the opportunity to lead others. Because they've had the force of example in their lives. But like we did with the young women, I think we ought to do here tonight. Remember several weeks ago when we talked about young women, we said, how young is young? All right. Let me give you a little cultural insight to this business of who are the young men. How young is young? Well, when we talked about it with the ladies, I said, ladies, we're going to give you an opportunity to rejoice tonight. Because... Be a young woman means basically in that culture and even much today, if you stop to think about it, it relates to anybody under 60 years of age, you know, reaching a certain age and up to it, maybe a little bit beyond 60. You would consider yourself to be young. So if you're if you're under 60 tonight or last week when I talked or a week ago when I was talking to the women, you think pretty good about that. You're not a old lady yet. You know, you're still a young person. All right. Same thing with the men. You're You're still a young man. You're not 60, you're young. Now you might be as young as we are when you were 20, but you're still considered to be a, a young person. Generally speaking, it's men under 60, since 60 seems to be the only cultural breaking point in that time. But even one which Paul identifies in 1 Timothy when he talks about widows who are over the age of 60. All right, He's talking about older women. Young men fill up a category then somewhere between, let's say, twenty to sixty or thereabouts. Now, admittedly that's somewhat cultural. Uh there there we when the Industrial Revolution started in Great Britain and swept to America, all of a sudden young men who had been pressed upon early in life to be industrious, to get out there and work, many of them couldn't go to school, they had to do something working on the farms finding something to do in town to help supply the needs for the family. But when the Industrial Revolution came alive, you had, uh, came along, these young men all of a sudden were, were, did, were did not have the pressures that they had when before the Industrial Revolution, that they had more time on their hands. And that had an impact upon society and has had an impact since that Industrial Revolution started. So it's true that young men are have a longer time to exercise what they think are youth, and they're not pressed into doing some things. And you're gonna find out that it's important that certain that young men learn certain things. Young men have a, how would I wanna say it properly? A special, special problems, and special dangers that you're going to face in life. Some of these dangers are maybe more intense in some ways than the early part. Of that very of that vast time period called being a young person. You take how much life can be stuffed in between the time uh, you start the time period to the time you reach 60. There's a lot of living in there, isn't there? There was a time when men basically in, in this time, it's a time when men are basically virile. They're they're strong and they're they're aggressive to some degree or another. They're healthy. And many of them have ambitions in life. It's a budding thing. I mean, you move from childhood into adolescence and from adolescence into young manhood. Man, things are changing radically over those years. And they're dangerous years for young men. And I think, I think all of life is dangerous. I think an infant, when an infant is born, they're born into a dangerous world. They need moms and dads to watch over them and care for them. And as they move from one, they, 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 they go from one stage of childhood to another, to another, into their teen years and even further. It seems like each, each increasing segment of, of their life becomes even more dangerous. And I thought about the dangers that young men go through. And I want to share with you some of them this evening. I think, first of all, there's a, the general danger of laziness. General, general danger of laziness in the life of a young man. You might, you might uh, call it a time of indulgence. I, I think in one sense that young men are programmed for that. But it's also part of our innate fallousness. It, it's part of the curse. That's why God told Adam, you're going to go out and you're going to work by the sweat of your brow. Of course, he probably recoiled at that. I mean, after all, he'd had pretty pretty easy living in the garden. What was demanded of him? Just simply to toy, you know, just to take care of the garden. But now, God says, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow. And into that that sin nature uh, came this idea of, of laziness. And God understood that. God understood that that a, that a young man needs compunctions, needs controls, needs some strong motivation to work. But generally, laziness can be exacerbated in a home, especially when men are young. Lazy men are usually produced in a home where there's been a lack of discipline. They've never been really taught how to pull in the loose ends of their life and be constructive. Mama's done everything. Daddy does everything. Daddy doesn't teach them the tools. Mom ends up doing everything and the kids just sit around and loaf and take their time and she helps with the studies and they don't really know much about how to take care of schoolwork. And with that comes this idea, well, my mom and dad owe me something and there's this attitude of laziness that comes. Uh, Laziness is produced when there's a sense of partiality in a family For whatever reason, if there's more than one child in the family, other children have been selected for a general benefit to the neglect of others. And when that happens, the person who gets the benefit of it does not see himself as one among many, but one above many. Got to be careful about partiality in a home. You share the responsibilities. What required of one may be required of another. Now given the idea that of course you're not having bang, 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 bang. uh, You know multiple sets of triplets. Basically you're having one and then you're having another and then you're having another. And so as the children come along you give them responsibilities according to their abilities and their age. But if there's partiality the one who is being shown partiality sees himself as one above many. And therefore... He doesn't do what he can to serve others. He does what he can do to serve himself. And that creates laziness. Laziness. Lazy men are usually produced in homes where they're never taught how to work. You know, you look at the example, um, you know, I'm going to say it, and I'm not doing it to embarrass, but you look at, uh, at Luke Waddell. Luke knows how to get out and work on, a, on an automobile. I appreciate his dad, the fact that his dad took time for him to teach him some things. The basic tools. I can't remember a time when I ever sat underneath an automobile and helped my dad do automobile work. Dad wanted to do it himself. Luke, the guy can work. Praise the Lord for him. Amen. All right. Sometimes the laziness comes because there's been plenty of money and plenty of goods Nobody seems to be in want. Or sometimes laziness comes because parents are absent. A father is absent. Mom is absent from the home. Uh, lazy men are produced in homes where there's no particular concern about, well, I don't have to watch over them. I trust them. They're good kids. They'll, they'll do all right. The Bible says a, a child left to himself bringeth his mother shame. You just don't leave the kids to themselves. They need the discipline. And they're not going to have it without having been responsible for work. But when children are left to do what they please to do. Basically they're going to do nothing. Because they don't please to do anything. They become a victim of their own program. And their program is lethargy. I'm going to get by with the least I can. It's a dangerous time. If young people do not learn discipline. If they don't learn due diligence. Now the second thing I want to bring your attention is this. Another danger of youth. Now remember. We're talking about youth running from all the way up to 60 years of age. And the danger is. Now listen to this. Freedom. The danger of freedom. Freedom. There comes a time when a young man will strain at the traces and say, I want my freedom. I want to be loose from family confinement. I want to be loose from family accountability. Uh, You know, my mother used to say, where are you going to go? I'm going to go out. How long you be gone? When are you going to be back? Where are you going? Who are you going with? That's important. You ought to know where your people are. I mean, the, the old commercial was, it's such and such a time. Do you know where your kids are? It's getting to place now at such and such a time. Do you know where your parents are? The mm-hmm. parents aren't staying home either, you know. But this idea of family, uh, family accountability and family scrutiny. They, 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 they get older too soon and too fast and they move too far. They get a little freedom. It starts off with maybe a little pair of roller skates or and then it go to or a tricycle then to a roller skate and then to a bicycle. Now growing up it was the hurry to get on a moped, run around in a moped and then get from that to get to a driver's license and get behind the wheel and get out on the road and be able to go further than you've ever gone before, you know. My parents would be shocked if they understood how far I could travel on a bike, just a pedal monster. And I could pedal. And I did good. I think that was one reason my hood my heart stood up for so long. Because I had the freedom of the road under my under my feet as I bicycled around. It got me away from the house. That's a dangerous thing. They get out from underneath strong influence. They need godly influence. But when they're not at home, they're out from underneath the restraint of home. Parents fear. My children are not. Where is my wandering boy tonight? He's out there somewhere. What is he doing? I don't know. It's a dangerous time for young people. It's dangerous because they're out from underneath the consequences of their behavior. Not that that they're not going to face the consequences, but they're out from underneath facing the consequences of their behavior. They can do things that mom and dad don't know about unless... Mom and dad find out about it. They're out from underneath instruction. They're out from underneath discipline. They're out from underneath fatherly control. And when they begin to do what they please in their freedom, generally they please to do what is not honoring to God or it's not productive. For instance, I, I, th- I think of our young men who go into the military and I speak to you, you older men who were young men at one time and you went in the military. You can vouch for me. I've seen it in my own family. My, when my older brother went over to Germany in the military, he started stationed at Fort Leonard Wood and then eventually shipped overseas to Germany to do his term of service over there. And one of my aunts said to him, Bill, if you don't get drunk when you're in the military, you're not the man that I think you are. Now, you've got to understand, my, my aunt, my one aunt that said that was not a Christian in any sense of the imagination. But you know how many young men, they, they go through boot camp. They learn their formations. They learn how to march. They learn rank. And they're under that scrutiny from the time they, they get in to the time they muster out. And occasionally they get a pass. A weekend pass. Or a day pass. And they go into town. And when they go into town. They're not under the scrutiny. Of the officers on the base. And what a lot of those young men do. They get to the bars. Drink themselves under the table. Get into fights. Military police have to come along. And break up. And then haul them back to the camp. And then they face discipline. But what is it? They're out from underneath, underneath the restraint of even though they're they're in uniform, even though they're in the military, they're not on a base they're they're away from underneath the control for a little while with this pass and young men do that they go overseas and they do overseas what they do even when they're at home. They get out and they do as they please There's a third danger that young men face, and I'm talking about men from the time they they cease being the young men to become. Men up to age 60. And what it is? It's this. The decadent culture. They face the problem of a decadent culture. Young men raised in a decadent culture are accustomed to seeing and hearing and reading vice. Familiarity with vice does not produce disgust. Oh initially it might be there. Particularly if you come from a Christian background. You've had godly moms and dads. You went to a goodly church. Where the gospel is preached. You learned that there were spiritual values. That you don't want to surrender. You've heard about. and You want to, you want to live a godly standard. But you get away from that. and you, you become so influenced by the vice. It produces attachment. It doesn't produce disgust. The more you hear it. The more you see it. The more you read it. The more addicted you become to it. That's why I say it produces attachment. Because moral perceptions are blurred. Sensibilities are dulled. What used to repulse you when you first saw it doesn't repulse you anymore. And young young men, young people become young men, become accustomed to vice. They become victimized by their allurements. That's a dangerous time. Another danger is that that comes to young men is godless education. Godless education. They're exposed in education to attacks on God, attacks on Christ, both overt and covert. Think of one young lady who told me that when she went to Michigan State University, she took a A philosophy class that they were told to take when they were in their first year of college. And the professor had no problem asking who were Christians. And he proceeded to to defame people who were Christians. And said you young people live in ivory towers. You need to learn here at the college. You need to put away your belief in God. And live your life the way you want to live it on your level. They're, attacked to it. They're exposed to attacks on the Bible. Uh, Christianity, it's either ignored or it's jeered at. And if anything, it's not considered intellectual to be a Christian. I think, well, you're, you're one of these church and Bible thumpers. You don't have any brains at all. You can't think. So they can get involved in an educational system where they undergo an indoctrination that basically leaves God out or defines him in human terms. And it's powerful stuff. Because a teacher, somebody who is an authority, is a mentor. And teachers and professors carry an authority with them. And they make, their, they make the young people listen to them as if they were gods. They know more than their moms or their dads. Godless education. It's a dangerous time. It's a dangerous time because the foundations of life and belief in God, which are so innate to the human heart. Paul said in the book of Romans, those things are attacked and the heart is devastated and shattered in the educational process and people lose their sense of reality about God. Then could I say this in a general category? Number five, it's dangerous just because of overall Immaturity. Overall immaturity. All of us have no problem. Considering a little baby. In a pair of diapers. Doing what they just normally do. Because they don't have any control over their. What they do. They mess their diapers. They need to be cared for. They need to be nursed. We understand that don't we. It's another time. Another thing for a young person. To get to the place. Where they continue to conduct their activities if they were, as if they had no control over their being. Youth is a time when ambition is strong and pride controls. Youth is a time where there's this unwarranted confidence. Confidence you don't, you don't deserve because it's never been tested and it's never been proven. You know where it's proven? It's proven when you learn to walk with God. When, you, when, you, when it's been proven that God is there for you and you can pray and God hears. Youth is a time of imagined invincibility. You think I'm going to be forever. But not all their graves are six foot long. It might be deep. But young people think they're invincible. They think they're invincible because they lack experience. Experience mellows, experience softens and experiences bring reality. So again, I say, I've said this several times. It's a dangerous time. It's dangerous. It's da- you're, you're pressing 60. you're looking forward to maybe retirement. It's still a dangerous time. Life is dangerous. And yet Paul understands that the future of the church is dependent on the young men growing up in such dangerous times. So Paul says to to Titus here, you exhort, you urge the young men to be sensible. In other words, get control of yourselves, man. He uses that word exhort. Paraclete. Paracleteo. It's the idea of coming alongside to encourage you encourage these young men. That's a familiar term. You should know that by now. You, you exhort. You, you continue to instruct and to teach and to counsel and direct. To guide, to exhort, to admonish. Somebody comes to talk with you and they're under 60 years of age. You got anything you want to share with them? You better know the word of God. You share the word of God with them. Have you asked your father? Have you talked to your mother? Moms and dads ought to be confidence, confidence People that they can talk to. People that they can trust. People who can keep a trust. You teach them to be sensible. And that idea there is just simply. Teach them how to control themselves. You remember several weeks ago I talked about that word "frone." We looked at it a number of times in the scripture. We saw it in chapter 1 and verse 8. Chapter 2 verse 5, 2 and 4 and 5. You see it down here again in verse 12. It's a common word that means to develop self-mastery. Self-control, balance. In other words, you encourage these young men to get their faculties and their appetites and their longings and their desires in the harness. Develop discernment and judgment. Paul in writing to Timothy. Says something similar in chapter 2 of 2nd Timothy. And he says flee also youthful lust. Youthful lust. Comes a time in the waking. Of the sensual activities of a young man. That lust begin to develop. They, they see it. They hear it. They read it. And before long, that sap begins to rise, and you've got to get under control. It's something that taking a cold shower isn't going to help, guys. You've got to have something stronger than a cold shower. You've got to know how to walk with God, how the Holy yeah. Spirit can come in and control your faculties. <clears throat> That's essential if you're going to be a godly young man. How can one have control over their lives? Now in a sense that means that when parents, when you're raising your children, you need to teach your your children conformity to holy standards. That means you need to control them so that your control becomes their control in time. It starts off mechanically. You do this, you do this, you do this. Have you done this, have you done this, have you done that? Then tomorrow it's do this, do this, do that. Have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done that? And when you do this and do this and done that enough. It eventually becomes part of a habit. And then you keep re- reproducing the habit. And you know what habit shapes? Habit shapes character. Habits shape character. Character. But if 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 you're if what you're doing is not under control, and a habit is produced that is not a right a right type of a habit, you're going to reach in a stage of life where you're not going to have control over that habit. A bunch of kids lived down the street from us in Allen Park. That old junker sitting out in the lot next to them and. The kids that lived there used to sit on the fender and smoke their cigarettes. I was raised in a home where we didn't smoke. But you know, you watched the movies of those days, it seemed like every movie you saw, every black and white movie had somebody all the time smoking. They didn't ask, hey, is it all right if, if I smoke? They didn't have that type of society. You just whipped it out and lit it up and blew your smoke, your smoke on whoever was there and Whoever had to breathe it in had to live with the consequences of breathing the smoke. Oh, you're the Bostwick's kids. Have a smoke. No, I don't, don't thank you. I don't smoke. First time I ever took smoke into my mouth, it was corn silk. And I learned very quickly, you don't burn corn silk because it burns faster than tobacco. And you take a breath of that and you literally breathe fire down into your throat. You talk about choking and hurting i never had a cigarette on my lips. Never did. I'm glad I never did. I had a grandfather who used to drink. My dad used to drink before I got converted. Growing up and visiting grandpa's house, he'd set his bottle down next to the seat where he sat when he was drinking. I didn't see my grandfather drunk I used to go with him to the bars when we were up at Cadillac and we're out picking berries all day long and he'd take me to the bar and buy me a seven up and he'd get a bottle of drink and play shuffleboard with the guys and table shuffle and, and uh, but not booze, didn't drink it. At our house, about anything that was drunken out of a bottle, out of a bottle was generally Werner's ginger ale or an orange crush now you're going to tell the difference because of the color you couldn't read But grandpa had set his bottle down next to a chair one day and i picked it picked up that bottle not understanding i just thought a little bit of pop left in the bottom of it and i took it in and i guzzled what was left you talk about puking you talk about having it up chucking you talk about losing your stomach that's what I did. I could hardly wait. I didn't know if I made it to the bathroom in time to do all that business. But I said to myself, if it tastes that bad, I don't want anything to do with it. My folks told me what it was. closest thing I've ever come to having alcohol, alcohol down my throat was some prescription that had been prescribed that tastes terrible. I've never had a desire to be drunk. Why did get off on that? I don't know. Maybe somebody here has got that. Maybe you've been licking your lips. And I, you're thinking maybe you'd like to try that. Don't do it. Get yourself under control. You need to have some standards in your life. Now I want you to notice the three, the three, three words in verse 7. By the way, the, the first three words of verse 7 really belong at the end of verse 6. Now I'm not correcting your King James Bible. Would you understand the principle? When you're reading Greek, you don't have numbers saying verse this, verse that, and so forth. Verse numbers in the Bible were not added to the scriptures until years after the word of God had been produced. It It was used by men to help people locate places in the Bible. And the numbers... That divide the chapters and divide the verses are not inspired of God. Now the Word of God's inspired, but the verse numbering is not. The verse numbers are not inspired. They were put in there by men for for other reasons. And so, really, when you come down at the end of verse six, you read to be sober in all things. First of all, that means that, and uh, you you know you show yourself and it moves to an example like. I uh, said, you, you tell young men this, but then show yourself an example of the exhortation from verse 6. Show thyself. And then in verse 7 becomes uh, really an emphatic. And it introduces a new line of thought for the Apostle Paul. So when you consider the word in all things fits better at the end of verse 6. Stretches the matter of mental balance and self-mastery and self-control and, and balanced behavior in the Christian life to an almost infinite level. And I say that because Paul uses the word basically in all things. Young men, they're so potentially volatile, impulsive, passionate, arrogant, ambitious, inexperienced, need to become the master of all the areas of their life. Everything needs to become under control. Apostle Paul said, I beat my body. I'm not going to get my body, run me. He reminds us when he writes to the Galatians, he tells the Galatians to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So Paul, when he writes to Timothy or Titus here is saying, you exhort these young men to walk in the spirit, to seek with all their heart, to be harnessed and live in spiritual balance and self-control and not to become victimized by those dangers that are working all around you get you get two guys away from home they're not parents are not around their their parents have a sense of trust and by the way trust is something that needs to be learned earned but it has to be learned before it's earned You don't want to violate that trust that your parents have given you. So he writes to Titus and he says, now Titus, you be an example of how to live a balanced life. You notice in verse 7, he uses the word pattern. The word pattern is a word called Tupas. All you ladies that do any sewing whatsoever, you know about Tupas. You say, I don't know Mr. Tupas, who is he? Well, tupas is a word for pattern. Pattern. It's like uh, here, here's the guide. You, you build it according to the directions. If you follow directions, you have the right pattern. And so he's saying to Titus, look, for the sake of the young men, you exhort them to be and you confront them that for the sake of the young men, you be the example so that they can be an example. You confront them with a the pattern of your life so they can copy what you are. Sometimes you know, I don't want to think that you to think that Paul is being braggadocious when he says, Now look, you follow, you follow me like I follow Christ. You want to be that type of a young man. You want to be you want to be able to say, Look, I might be young and I'm as young as you are, but look, I want to set the pace. Because I want to show by my life that I'm submissive in my life to God and I'm not going to let my passions run wild. Listen, any exhortation lacks force and impact and power without having an example to follow. That's why many Sunday school teachers fail in their efforts in teaching the young people that they have because they don't set a pattern. Many a pastor loses his pulpit and loses his ministry because He doesn't have the force of example. And in fact, exhortation without example, there's a key word. Exhortation without example is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy never teaches people to do right. It always teaches people to do wrong. Paul taught Paul also lived. In Acts chapter 20. He could have quoted the words of Jesus. Who said it's more blessed to give than to receive. When he was instructing the believers. That they ought to be generous givers. But he didn't quote just Jesus. He said after he said that. He said you know. You know how I was when I was with you. You know that for the space of three years. I did not cease day or night with tears to give you what you needed by way of warning. You know that my heart was broken for you. You know that I never coveted any man's silver, any man's gold. I didn't I didn't covet any man's clothing. I didn't covet another man's wife. You know the sacrifices I did with my own living. I earned my own living and the living the the means of living for everybody that worked with me. And now I'm saying to you, it's more blessed to give Than to receive. And you know what I mean. He says because you saw it in my life. We're told in Hebrews chapter 13. and verse 7. We're told to follow the faith of those. Who are over us. Not just hear what they have to say. But to follow their faith. To live the way they live. In the book of Philippians chapter 3. and verse 17 Paul says. "Uh, You follow my example. And observe those who walk according to the pattern. That you have in us. You see that? The pattern. The two paths. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 16 Paul said be imitators of me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 1 he opens by saying be imitators of me as I am of Christ. There's always the issue of example. And then nowhere is it more delineated than in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. In fact let me close with that passage. Paul says let no man despise thy youth. when people live around young people who are live dissolute lives who are looking out for themselves who are not subject to controls who just do as they please they don't care who they offend it's no wonder that people despise young people free sex free booze free this free that live with no restraints send young people off to godless universities and when they're not in class, they're out there doing their godless thing. You want to go to hell, you see what hell is like. You walk through the campus of Michigan, University of Michigan, and you watch and you watch the young people and see what they're involved in. Godless. And Paul said to Titus, don't let anybody, or to Timothy, don't let anybody criticize you because you're young, but show yourself as an example. It's a very phrase he gave to Titus. And then he delineates five categories here. Very quickly, let me go through the categories. Five categories. Speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. And I had to practice that because I knew I had to go one, two, three, four, five. All right? had to work at that. All right? All these areas. Look, speech. What is speech? Speech is your conversation. Speech is your conversation. What comes out of your mouth? It ought to be godly speech. Number two, he talks about conduct. What is your conduct? That's your lifestyle. That's your manner of living. That's the things you do, the places you go, the things you accumulate, every aspect of your life, your conduct. And then he uses the word love. That's your self-sacrificing service on the behalf of others. You're not living for yourself. You're living for God, for the benefit of others. You don't ask them to do it unless you're demonstrating Sacrifice in your own life. And it talks about faith. And that means basically faithfulness. Consistency. You demonstrate that you're not a flash in the pan. That you're not a, a sudden shooting star coming across the, star at the sky at night. You're not a comet. You're in there for the long haul. We all marvel at these guys who are sprinters. You know, they get out there a few moments running against the clock and other people and they cross the finish line and they hang gold medals on them. It's one thing to be a sprinter. It's another thing to be a plotter. It's another thing to to be a miler. Running a mile is a whole lot different than running just one lap. I'm saying you show that you're there for the long haul. A girl doesn't want to marry a guy who's a flash in the pan. A woman doesn't want to marry somebody who can't be counted on be there the next time she needs somebody. We're all spiritual plotters and not spiritual splinters, Splitters, we're, we're trustworthy, we're faithful, we're unwavering, we're uncompromising. We're, we are from start to finish. And we're not finished until we've run the race completely and we cross the finish line, we're home. We're home. Exhort the young men. The most dangerous time, it seems, in that time period from childhood to the time 60. Now, I don't want to say that nothing else is as dangerous. But once you pass that time and become an older man, it's still dangerous. Our lives are dangerous. We live in a dangerous world. Until one day we will be saved out of this time sphere in which we lived And saved to sin no more. And that will be we're in heaven. So none of us can afford to let our guard down. The young ladies of our church, they need to live the same way. Carefully get away from that i can hardly break the reins and get out from underneath control we are never and ought to never be without control in our lives and that's why it's so important that you and i learn and continue to learn how to walk in the power of the holy spirit our heavenly father we have hurriedly rather hurriedly gone through the text tonight and we said some things that are really appropriate Maybe the young ladies of our church haven't thought about how it is important it is that a young man that one day may be a potential mate follow the criteria that we've mentioned this evening. They don't want to marry a loose cannon. Somebody who's spiritually and emotionally unstable. Somebody who has not learned how to submit to authority. Somebody who has not learned how to walk with God. Lord, we pray you touch all of our hearts, that we might purpose in our hearts not to defile ourselves with the king's meat. As Daniel said in Daniel chapter 1, I'm not going to do it. I want to be God's man. I want to be God's woman. I want to be God's girl. Bless, we pray, to the end, that you might receive the honor and glory. And to that end, we will give you the praise. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.